Welcome to the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour, and we do love happy hour and the clinking of glasses and cheers to all you fabulous women who are fully living your lives at every age and every stage. And here's the best news, every hour is happy hour. So whether you clink cheers with your coffee mug or your afternoon cappuccino, remember as the song says, it's five o'clock somewhere. Join us for some grown-up fun, interesting and stimulating conversations that will motivate, inspire, or just make you laugh. And for more grown-up fun, visit our website, The Three Tomatoes, and the three is spelled out, and sign up for our newsletters. Now sit back and relax and enjoy the episode. Hello, fabulous listeners. Welcome to The Three Tomatoes Happy Hour podcast. I'm Kim Selby, the San Francisco editor of the Three Tomatoes newsletter. And today I have the pleasure of bringing you a conversation with Jesse Cool. Now, those of you who live in the Bay Area, I know you're salivating right now for some of those buttermilk biscuits, yum. Uh, for those of you who live out of the area and may not be as familiar with Jesse, she is a restaurant owner, a chef, a cookbook author, seven of them a lecturer at Stanford's Department of Education. Uh, she's been a spokesperson for Eco-Conscious Food Service, and she was a former food columnist. She founded five restaurants, and this is what I love, starting in 1976 with the first organic restaurant in the country. Yay, Groovy. But most of you probably know her for incredibly delicious creations at Flea Street Cafe in Menlo Park, where I first tasted the buttermilk biscuits. Uh, let's see what Jesse has to say about the future of restaurants and talk food. Welcome, Jesse, and thank you for taking time out of your day to uh, speak with us, or uh, taking time out of the kitchen, I should say. Em, I'm, I think it's time we're all cooking for ourselves more than we necessarily are in our restaurants. Well, I can say that's true in this house. But I mean, I cook all the time anyway, but my 27-year-old son is living with us during Shelter in Place, and he eats a lot more than just my husband and I. So I'm cooking a ton. You're right, Jesse, you're right. Um, so tell us, how the, how's the restaurant doing, our favorite Flea Street? You know, Flea Street um, is surviving because of this community. And Flea Street's 40th anniversary is August 28th. I thought I was gonna throw a big party, but I think that will have to wait. Yeah. And when this started, I kind of threw the dice and decided to not go into the, uh, Oh, the family meal uh, model, yeah. but keep Flea Street, Flea Street. So we are still special occasion, um, a very, a very thoughtful fine dining at home. And so we are doing, we're hanging in there. So I'm, I want to say anyone listening from this community who has known and supported uh, the endeavor that we have with food and farming and the environment, it makes me want to cry right now. Um, I want to thank everyone. Oh, well, I, I did look. It is a special occasion restaurant for those of you. It's not going to your local taqueria, okay? And I used to live stumbling distance back in the day when I drank martinis, can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. We would go and have a martini or so at the bar and have a little nibble. It is, honestly, Jesse, and I'm not just saying that because you're on it, is one of the best restaurants where I have ever eaten, in fact, it's our 30th anniversary um, in a few weeks, and I thought we might be going out, but it looks like we <laughs> will be dining in. Let's do it to go. That's what everybody's doing, and we put everything in the bag. We put the biscuits. We put Taste the Season. We put a little dessert. We put uh, cards. It's this little bundle of, 
of us wanting you to feel that it's still a special occasion. Oh, I know. And, you know, but I just, oh, I, I mean, I could talk about it. And then there are people, because we have listeners all across the country, they won't know, but the ambiance is so special there. So, when, and I know that people come, we, you know, you're located in Menlo Park, which is not a sleepy little town anymore. Thank you, Silicon Valley. Um, but people, you know, come from all over the Bay Area to go to Flea Street. But I think we still remain the neighborhood restaurant. And, you know, we keep a third of, well, whenever we were open, we kept a third of it. Uh, you did not have to make a reservation because we wanted the neighborhood to stumble in just like you and <laughs> have a fabulous cocktail and a little bit to eat and to not take it all too seriously for us to still keep the warmth from from the beginning to the end of, uh, of what it means to be really connected to to the beauty and the nourishing and the nurturing from beginning to end that food can bring to us. Well, you do that and your servers have always been so professional and so delightful. And so thank you for that. I know this is not, this is not a commercial for Flea Street, but I, I can't, no, let's move on. <laughs> can't help myself. Um, Jesse, what I think is so interesting, and then we'll talk about what your thoughts are in future. And tell us a little bit about how you started in 1976, the first organic restaurant. So this restaurant was called Late for the Train and I moved to the Bay Area. Well, I moved down to Menlo Park where Late for the Train was in 1989 and I was very familiar. It was a treat to go there too. Tell us what prompted you to start, you know, the first organic, this was a big deal, 1976? Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm going to do it real quickly, but I arrived in California having gotten off welfare. I was in a 67 Volkswagen van having moved from Philadelphia with a five-year-old kid. I was an embroiderer. I was a I was a love child, a hippie child, and I could not make a living embroidering. So I started waiting tables at the Good Earth, and <laughs> I met a man named Bob Cool. My my name is really Jesse Cool, and he was opening, oh, a, like a a steakhouse restaurant with a friend of his. And I said, well, I shop at the local food co-op, Briar Patch. I cook organic food, and do you want me to cook for you? And I cooked for him, and let's just fast forward that we found an abandoned Chinese restaurant and opened late for the train. It was right next to the train station. Opened late for the train, making everything from scratch and using local farms. Um, we bought produce from a company called 3.30 AM. They bought food for us from local, um, local organic farms. And we had no clue what we were doing. I just need you to know that. It, <laughs> The community once again showed up and we had to learn how to be in the restaurant business. So do you, are you a self-taught chef? I am a cook. You're a, oh my gosh. My mother and my father, my father owned a grocery store, my uncle owned a slaughterhouse in Western Pennsylvania. Um, I'm Jewish and Italian. I did everything I could to get away from it because, you know, being, being those two nation, those two religions or nationalities, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> they are religions. Uh, um, food, food and love are both um, healing and um, dysfunctional. So for me to go into the restaurant business was kind of because that's what I knew how to do. I'm a cook. But did you grow up learning it? I oh, mean, yeah. Oh, I learned from the grandmas. Just like I teach my kids, they have to learn how to make certain foods. They have to stand next to me and make things. But I learned from the grandmas. I learned from my father. I learned how to cook. And it was, it was very hard. Think about this in the 70s, being a woman 
Yeah. Um, untrained, not the guys with, you know, the French hats. Um, and cooking organic food. I was not respected. When I look back now, I was bullied. I must have had the strength to just push through because I knew with my connections to the farmers, they are my heroes. And I, I live more in that community as, um, as an acknowledgement for work, not the James Beard found out, not, not the wonderful established um, organizations. I was a farmer groupie. Um, in that world, everything made sense. And when it finally spilled forward decades later to where we are now, where we can look at people when they say, how did you get into this? And how did you know? And I said, and I would say to them, because I hung out with the right people, our core values were the customer comes last. We took care of the environment. We took care of the farmers. We took care of the dishwashers. We took care of the cooks. And then we took care of the front of the house and the um, customers. But we actually, without knowing it, were all right. We were right about what we thought. Clearly, now that you were so lunatic fringe. Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, you've created the model for what are the most popular type of restaurants today, the farm to table. Well, I'm not alone. There were many of us. Um, you know, there are some famous, you know, you know, Alice is a renowned name, but there were many of us not a lot of us, but in the country doing this. Um, and, and a number of them were women, by the way. Odessa yep. Piper. Um, oh my God, the woman in Washington. Uh, Nora, uh, Nora Puyan. Uh, there were a number, oh, um, um, Andy Somerville, uh, Deborah Madison. There were all these women that were cooking from the land and doing it very simply, again, like our grandmas and grandpas did. And we were not considered mainstream and to have it to have the new definition of gourmet be that connection is it again who would have ever thought i wouldn't have no but that's the great thing is that you weren't trying to be something you weren't you no, were it was the your, opposite yeah you were bringing your authentic self to the table as it were <laughs> I, think, I think we had ethics yeah, I, think, I think we were respectful. I think we had a conscience. Oh, it makes me want to just, again, get emotional. I think we felt like food was a place that had a message um, on many levels to, we were environmental politicians. Yeah. We, we did this in a way that took care of people, but, but also had very deep roots in something meaningful. And I mean, in my career, I remember because I did a lot of speaking and, you know, back then lots of benefits, or whatever. And they would say, get, get off the soapbox. Stop trying to make people feel guilty about, you know, what you have to say about organic food. And I thought, well, but my mom and dad taught me this. And once you grab hold of it and realize the deep roots of it and how it does affect everything about our well-being, how could you ask me to not talk about this? And one more thing, it spills over to social justice because if we are not good to the people who grow our food, it's not, it's not living in a kind world. Well, I mean, I truly believe that. I mean, I really believe that when you are, I go to the, I still go to the farmer's market, even in quarantine, the San Mateo Car farmer's market, which I love because I feel like I am, I am eating the food that these people grew that, very consciously as opposed to just in a greenhouse or not that that's bad but you know yeah. i don't know that much about it except that i know i want to support our farmers and i feel better 
I, I can taste the difference. I can totally taste the difference. So please stop me if, you know, we, if I get segued into this, because I can very easily. But I think it's also about the question always comes up, yes, but you're the elite. Yes, but you can go to the farmer's market and spend more. When I was on welfare in the early 70s, I still bought organic food. I didn't buy a lot. I cooked carefully. It was important for me with myself and my children and anyone around me to eat clean food way back then. And the argument of, oh, what about the people who don't have enough money? My answer is those who have need to take care of those who don't. It is my job now that I can provide more for myself and others to make sure that every one of my staff eat the same as I do. And that if they need help getting that kind of food, we need to help them. That and is beautiful. That is beautiful. Not the right answer to say it's elitist. It's wrong for us to not take care of others. But we can move on. So I don't. <laughs> okay. I think I think it's really interesting, and I think it's really important because that also brings us around to the whole uh, shelter in place and the quarantine and the economy. I mean, yeah. it's it's taking care of what we can, and some of us no longer have <clears throat> that income we had, but it is but have more than others, you know. And and so you hear about the people who are paying their cleaning people. Um, even if they I aren't am. coming. I and, am. I'm mopping my floor, but I'm paying her. Yeah, me too. And um, yes, that's so but, not fun. But, but you know what? I appreciate her so much more. It's like all the mothers who really appreciate the teachers now, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, <laughs> but, so in the restaurant world, your question was, what is the future? I don't think any of us know. And I have to say that this was a, a bigger jolt at my age. I'm 71. And I started when I was 26, 27 in the restaurant industry. For me, having gone through all the ups and downs and ins and outs, and this one hit the hardest because as we all know, it was so quick and so unknown and um, a different kind of recovery. We started a nonprofit where we were feeding the hospitals a thousand meals a day. And and we brought back uh, nearly two thirds of our staff because we built a model that anyone who needed to work, we brought them back in. And those who could get on unemployment, we put them in that life raft, go out in that life raft. But those of you who want to come back to work, let's sort out a way to do this. And um, a lot of them are the hardest working. And a lot of them are, again, so respectful. And in the midst of our own regeneration, they know we are supporting local farms. We buy fish right off the boats. We have not minimized hospital food. Um, in um, buying cheaper, we don't go to Costco. We bake the cookies because then we have to hire somebody to bake the cookies and the biscuits. We're still baking the biscuits. Um, so I think the future is that none of us know how we are all going to emerge. We've already seen within six weeks, it's been six weeks, how the food industry in particular has flipped itself around. And you know, you can buy um, something for your pantry from some restaurants, and right. some are doing to go, and some are doing box meals, we're still evolving. And I'm, I'm a cup half full person. So as much as it's really hard and I have to go walk in the woods to recover myself, um, I think that, that there will, people still will want to treat themselves. People still have to eat. We still want local farms to grow our food. I believe we do anyway. And actually more people are seeing that now. I think we're just going to see new ways of, of, um, of feeding ourselves, feeding others, cooking, supporting food production, um, and that includes fisheries and ranchers and dairies. I just think it's going to be excitingly new. Yeah, you know, I am so impressed with all of the industries that are 
being so creative in what they are doing for their employees and in terms of marketing. And I, and I love all of the retail companies or the uh, uh, clothing manufacturers who are creating masks. You know, that's a way to do it. And, and I really appreciate and will support those people who are giving back more so than those who aren't just like yourself. I, I find you're feeding a thousand people. Yes, we started something called mealsofgratitude.org. Uh, an associate professor at Stanford Medical School sent me a message the day I had closed the Cantor Cafe, so uh -huh. I was already in the hole, and then I knew within days I was gonna have to close Flea Street. I, I was spinning out of control. And I get this message saying, Jesse, can you, uh, would you feed uh, some of the frontline workers at the hospital? And I literally looked at my phone and I swore and said, F no, I'm not donating right now. I can barely stay alive. And then I got in bed and thought, wait, maybe I could hire some staff back and we could do this and maybe they could give us a little money. And it, the community gave so much money to this endeavor, knowing they were keeping my staff alive, that we were still buying hundreds of pounds of food from local farmers and fisheries and ranchers and dairies, and that we were feeding frontline people. So it just worked. But, but I don't want to just be Pollyannish because I know people in the industry are suffering and struggling because they're in the midst of trying to figure out what to do or they've lost something that, that they work so hard for and they can't recover. And so as this settles, we're gonna sort through how to help them too, through organizations in the food industry. And that means the whole broad food industry to figure out how to help them. Again, this is so emotional. How to try to help them get back on their feet because we're all gonna to have to do this together. Yeah, I, I told you know, you are one of the fortunate ones and you are also one of the ones with the bigger hearts. And, you know, not everybody, it's interesting because the people who, who are giving more are getting more. And I don't necessarily mean, you know, you know, more business or whatever, but it is true. People like myself would much prefer to frequent a place where we know that the owner is taking care of other people. It's just so vital. We do all have to take care of each other. It's a very different time. Yeah, it's it is very, scary. It's very hard. It's yeah. very sad. We all have blue days. I hit the wall just like everybody else. I can't figure out what in the world is coming next. But then when I come up and I think all of us have to figure out how to help each other and recover within ourselves, then I have hope again. And, and I think that's what's happening now. We are not just stuck in a place of demise. We have to recognize others who are suffering though. And we should have done this a long time ago. Yeah, it's a real wake up call to everybody about every single aspect of our lives. Sorry, it makes me emotional and I'm not emotional. Well, you, by the way, I drink one martini every night. You said you're not. I. I believe it's sanitizing me inside, just so you know. I do. I have my martini. My biggest decision every night is which antique glass do I use? <laughs> well, cheers to that since the name of our podcast is the Three Tomatoes Happy Hour Podcast. Even though we're recording this early in the morning, who knows whenever someone's listening to it, please pour yourself a big uh, glass of your favorite adult beverage, or if you don't drink that, you know, something else, but um, I love that. 
<laughs> but please don't inject bleach in yourself. Oh, I don't even want to. We are not going to that side. No, we don't do that. We we're don't not do going that. to the dark side of the moon. We're no, just, we don't do that in this we're podcast. Keep regenerating. We're going to keep encouraging. And I know you and others may be sitting there thinking, yes, but how do I do this? I would be patient within yourself. Imagine other cultures who have gone through genocide or losing everything and how the ones who can look out of that darkness and think, I am going to reinvent myself. I am going to figure out what to do. And I'm going to surround myself with the people who want to uh, lovingly work with me and stay close to your community. It's such a good time to, to, to rebuild not only friendships, but the small endeavors that may sell a little something of this or something that uh, I'm buying some, um, some duck livers from, um, from Dee Dee over at Root John Farms because she raises ducks and chickens. And she said, I can't give you a wholesale price. I said, I don't want a wholesale price. I will pay you your retail price. I'm going to make amazing pate. <laughs> and I'll pay you the price. And she said, oh my God, really? I said, we can't lose you. We need you to stay around. Yeah, I mean, well, and, and I really appreciate what you are doing. You are a real positive force and a light in the food industry and just a great uh, role model, I would say, for people. I just, I but wish and hope that him. everybody feels like we can I, I, <laughs> I don't want it to be just that. Sorry, I'm interrupting you, but I am just as human. I am just as negative about myself. I am just as scared. I am just as uh, crazy in my in my own uh, dysfunction. <laughs> I am so like everybody else, but I do feel like my only choice is to keep trying. That's all. Yeah. And when those days are are truly, I just don't want to get off my couch. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk to anybody because if they say, how are you? I'm going to say, I'm really messed up. Um, I don't, that, that, that humanness is also very, very much on the surface of those we think are doing more than we are. My only message is I am going to keep trying. That's all. And I am going to keep those who are so full of heart and um, I can work with, and we mutually support each other. I'm going to keep them near, and I'm going to try to keep evolving, no matter what it is. Kathy, that's what is so, I mean, I don't think we could end on a better note, but I think that is what is so wonderful about your authenticity. You are real. And I think that that is really, when I say role model, that's what is is what we look up to with someone such as yourself, who is a successful businesswoman, who has created this incredible uh, legacy, as it were, and business, and yet you're authentic and you're real and you're telling us, hey, some days I feel like crap, and but I keep going. You know, okay. I really, I love that message. Thank you. It's true. And this community, every, if you talk to anybody honestly, they say the same thing. So. Yeah, and I'm just grateful I didn't swear at all through this podcast. <laughs> it's okay. It's a podcast. You could. I've had people. I'm a, I'm a woman cook, and we have mouths like you wouldn't believe. So every once in a while, it's like, uh-uh, Jesse, hold it back. But okay, so I would not. I don't I'm, think you would be offending any one of the wise women who are listening. <laughs> I'm so grateful because you know, letting me talk about myself is like a therapy session. I'm gonna, 
I'm going to stand up and think, okay, girl, go. You know, that is perfect. And you are really inspiring so many other people too. And everybody who's listening is appreciating you, no matter whether they live in Menlo Park or New York City or Los Angeles or in between. So Jesse, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of um, overseeing the thousand meals that are prepared every day for the healthcare. No, 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 no. A thousand meals a week. Oh, a week. She said daily. I wrote down daily. I'm like, holy man. No, no it's a thousand. I think we're going to ramp up to 1500 a week because we're going to start, uh, because the hospitals are closing. I know we're ending. We're going to start sending them to the in-shelter elderly and disabled. Oh. So, uh, this oh. new awareness again of taking care of those in need is wonderful. It is wonderful. Thank and, you, Kim. And, and plus, you know what, Jesse, you're feeding people who may not not that they're indigent, certainly, but who may not um, appreciate or be aware of the healing properties of organic foods. So, well, we call the bags a little hugs of food. Oh, they put hearts all over them. So, <laughs> they've got heart stickers and all kinds of things so that people get that not only is it organic, delicious, beautiful food, it is cooked, it's the zen of it all. Well, that's another topic I would love to explore at some point because you do, I have read things about how, you know, the lovingness of the chefs that when they put it into the food makes a difference because everything's energy and we're ingesting the energy from the chef. And if you're ingesting it from someone who's created with love, it's a lot different than someone who's just slapped it on your plate. So we actually email pictures back and forth from the hospital to our team and little notes so they know there's a human being there. Oh, Jesse, you're amazing. No, oh my you. goodness. Well, thank you so much for taking time today to talk with me and share your knowledge and your passion with our listeners. And I wish you the best for Flea Street. And of course, I will be there May 27th to pick up my 30th anniversary meal. Mm -hmm. I'm excited. Uh, thank you for much. Let's all keep forgiving ourselves. Let's remember we are all perfectly imperfect. And, um, and try to keep um, uh, thinking about ways of regenerating. I love it. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you so much, Kim. <laughs>